Okay, it's been two weeks since the last time we checked in on Joseph. So I want to remind us real quick, you know, so if you, if you watch shows, you know, they'll say previously on what keeps you up at night. So week one, we talked about the fact that Joseph, he's 17 years old, and he has these dreams of greatness, these dreams where his whole family is going to bow down to him. And we're not told directly why his family, when he has these dreams, they get so frustrated about it. But, but if they get frustrated about Joseph having dreams of his own future greatness, then what that means is they don't trust him to use that to help them. They think once he gets in charge of everything, he's just going to have fun making people do what he wants them to do. He's 17 years old, so we can cut him a little slack. I'm not saying 17-year-old people are always thinking of themselves first. I'm just saying all of us at one time or another in our teenage years, if we had a dream like that, there's a chance, at least for me, that I would take it the wrong way. And so one of the interesting things about the entire story of God and and God working through Joseph's life is those future dreams are absolutely going to come true. But by the time they come true, it's not going to be the same version of Joseph. He's going to be different. He's a changed man. And so when those, those moments that he's dreamed about actually begin to unfold, it's going to go differently than he or anyone else in his family thought at first. And so we talked about this idea, right, that you read throughout Scripture, we do as God's people, all of these promises about the future, about our future. And and we could take those promises and, and we could interpret them in such a way to say, look, a day is coming when God's going to let us call all the shots and our enemies should be afraid for that day. Or we could take all of these promises about God putting us in positions of power and authority and start dreaming already of how we would use that greatness to help everyone else where it would be good news to everyone else that God is going to put us in a position to shape things. And that was week one. Week two, things get a little more difficult for Joseph because, you know, he he runs into some trouble. Some of it's directly because he's got a strained relationship with his family and they end up selling him into slavery. But then he ends up in this this position of authority and influence in an important person, you know, in, in Potiphar's household, and Potiphar's a, a ruling elite in Egypt. So he, he lands in a, in a fortunate place and he's succeeding. And then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him and he ends up in prison. And we talked about the fact that it never says anywhere in the story that God's the one who put Joseph in that place. But he does have to wrestle with the fact that he believes in a God who could have stopped that from happening. He believes in a God who could have intervened, and yet God allows it to happen. And so we talked about the reality that, look, all of us have difficult moments like Joseph's where we find ourselves in a place we never would have wanted to go a place we didn't deserve to have to be. And it's really tempting at times when that's happening to somebody else for us as people of faith 
to reach for words of comfort to basically tell them that everything that's happening in their life is being directly caused by God, so it's okay. And I have found in my life, when I'm at my lowest moments, you telling me that God wants me in that place is not comforting. Worse yet is if you tell me what, what I'm supposed to learn when I'm in that place. However, we talked about this, I think, adult level, right? You're adulting in your spiritual walk if you start to wrestle with this. How do we balance trusting in a God who doesn't directly cause everything that happens to us, but in allowing some things to happen to us that we would never choose, God's able to use those things to help us become more and more like his son. So that God doesn't cause everything, but on the other hand, God doesn't waste anything. Now, in order for that to be true, it means you and I can't waste anything that happens to us. We can be shaped more into the image of Jesus when things are going great and we're learning to trust God and we can see all the ways that God's moving and our faith feels like it's coming easily, but we also can be made into people who are more and more like Jesus when we cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's hard, but it's true. It's true for Joseph and it's true for us. Okay, so we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 1. And, and I'm gonna, we're, we're covering a lot of ground this morning. You probably can tell I'm already talking too fast. It's not because I've had a couple of coffees, though I have. It's because we're trying to cover a lot of ground. Uh, so I'm going to summarize some of the sections of Scripture before we read together. So if you want to follow along, you can. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, Joseph's still in prison, and he gets a couple of cellmates. It's the chief wine steward and the chief baker. I guess a party just went sideways for Pharaoh, and everything was wrong, and I don't know what happened. But they got in trouble with Pharaoh, and so they're thrown into prison with uh, Joseph. And so he's there, and they're there, and they have dreams. Dreams are always an important part of this story. They're not always Joseph's dreams, but they, they have some dreams. And they've heard through the grapevine that, that Joseph has the ability to interpret dreams. So they share them with him. And they have similar dreams, except for the ending. The chief wine steward has a dream that there's these three vines, and then they blossom, and then there's grapes, and then he crushes the grapes into a, a cup for Pharaoh, and he takes the cup to Pharaoh, and that's kind of a dream. Now, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but it's just to kind of keep everything in our mind at the, at the same time. So the, the baker has a dream, and he has three baskets of bread, they're stacked on his head, and I didn't mean that to rhyme, and these birds come and they attack the bread and they devour it. Okay, so they both had dreams. And they ask Joseph, come on, do your thing. Tell us what they mean. By the way, these aren't that hard to decode. But I'm thankful that, that you know, they're relying on Joseph to be the one to do it. So, he says to uh, the wine steward, look, your dream, the, the three vines are three days. So in three days, Pharaoh's going to call you. 
from here and you're going to get an opportunity to serve him and it's going to go well and you're going to, you're going to be put back in your place of honor. And the baker's like, that sounds great to me. What's my dream mean? And he goes, well, you know the birds that are attacking the bread? You're going to be dead. Three days, it's not going to go well for you. And I guess the baker says thank you. I, I don't know how that part of the, the story goes. Now, having said that, when Joseph is telling the wine steward how it's going to go and that things are going to turn out okay and that he's going to be placed in, in a position of, of honor and authority like he had before, this is what he says to him. Please remember me when you're doing well and show me steadfast loyalty. Put in a good word for me to Pharaoh so that he sets me free from this prison. Now, I want us to highlight the phrase, show me steadfast loyalty. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> and the reason I want to highlight that phrase is because we've heard it before. This showing someone steadfast loyalty. Uh, that that Hebrew word, we talked about it, it's hesed. And it is the steadfast loyalty that seeks to be there for someone no matter what's happening to them. It's, it's not a love that somebody earns, it's a love that's freely given. And when it really counts, it's when everything else is unreliable and falling apart, you don't know what or who you can depend on, the thing that's gonna get you through is hesed, right, this steadfast loyalty. And where we've heard it before is actually uh, in Genesis 39, when the person telling us the story about Joseph observes, while he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and loved him with hesed, loved him with steadfast loyalty. And we talked about the fact that it may not have felt that way to Joseph at the time, because after all, he's in jail. And his understanding of being loved with steadfast loyalty probably included not being in prison. And yet, what the storyteller is trying to get us to see is that's when it counts the most. You're not, you're not leaning on, you're not depending on, more than anything else, God's steadfast loyalty until it's all you have left. So, so here's what I, I want you to not miss is that whatever this experience is of God's faithfulness in the midst of disappointment and sorrow, God's love that reaches Joseph even when he's in a place he doesn't want to be, it's impacted him enough that when he has this conversation with the chief wine steward and says, you're going you're to go back to that place, I want you to love me the way God has loved me. You know, it kind of reminds you of that old song, I love you with the love of the Lord which in high school, I always, you know, it was a safe way to sing it to a girl in the youth group and not say, I loved you. I just love you with the love of the Lord. <laughs> right? It's not accidental he's saying, show me this, this same love. It's because it's the only thing that's going to make his life be the life that he's longing for. And if God would partner with this wine steward to get him out of prison, Joseph knows it's going to happen. So love me with the love of the Lord. Well, the problem is, once they have this conversation, 
And this is the next little section of Genesis uh, chapter 40. But after this conversation, you know, they, they thank him for his interpretation. And then what he says is going to happen, happens. So the baker exits the story in a pretty ruthless way. But the wine steward ends up right where Joseph told him he was going to be. And it would be wonderful if it said, and he loved Joseph with steadfast loyalty, and he told Pharaoh about him. That's not what it says. In Genesis 40, uh, verse 23, going into 41.1, we read, but the chief wine steward didn't remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. Two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing near the Nile. How do you forget someone for two years? Well, I'll tell you how. You don't care. You only care about yourself. And what do you think was going on inside of Joseph for those two years? You know, I think he obviously had to be really, really angry that here he had helped this guy and he'd given him hope and he'd told him the truth of what was going to happen and then as soon as that guy gets out of trouble, he's fine. He just, just goes on his, his own way and doesn't care about him. I'm sure for a long time, Joseph struggled with anger and frustration and feeling abandoned by this chief wine steward. But don't you have to think that mixed in with that was the fear that if this guy could forget him, maybe God had forgotten him? See, I think that's the real challenge here is that when we forget people, we don't just run the risk of hurting their feelings we run the risk of hurting the relationship with God. If we're the primary way that somebody was going to experience God's steadfast loyalty, if he was going to do that through us, and then we get so busy with our own concerns or our own plans or whatever it is that we're distracted by that we don't actually do what we're able to do to help somebody else experience that steadfast love and loyalty of God, you and I could actually create problems in their relationship with God. I don't want to do that. I, I, don't, I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be so self-interested that as long as things are working out the way I want them to, I don't have time to focus on the fact that there are people all around me who, like Joseph, feel like they're imprisoned in their situation, that they're chained trapped, and there's no way out. All of us can think about times in our lives when we could have done something, and we didn't. And I'm telling you, we need to find a better way to carry the people who are hurting, to carry them in our hearts as long as they're hurting. I think one of the biggest fears that people have, even in church communities, when they're going through a tough time is, if it takes a long time, that the rest of us are going to go back to our lives and forget them. And then there's going to be a part of them that wonders, has God forgotten them too? 
Man, that's a challenge. So for two years, Joseph's wrestling with that. And then dreams start to happen. This time it's Pharaoh who has some dreams. He has two different dreams. They're both really similar. In one dream, there are these seven healthy cows that are grazing. Suddenly, these horrible, thin, zombie cows show up and eat the healthy cows. And then there's another dream where there's these seven healthy ears of grain on a stalk. And then all of a sudden, these horrible, frail, you know, last thing you'd ever want to eat versions of grain show up on that stalk and devour the healthy ones. And Pharaoh is haunted by these dreams. It's keeping him up at night. He asks all of his religious advisors and all these people. None of them have the ability to tell him what it means. And if they even have a sense of what it might mean, I think they're too afraid to tell him anything that would disappoint him because they all remember the chief baker. So they keep their mouth shut. And then when it's to his advantage to remember, the wine steward suddenly remembers. And he says to Pharaoh, hey, I know a guy. He's been in prison for the last couple of years because I forgot him. His name's Joseph. He's able to interpret dreams. You got to call him up. So that's what Pharaoh does. He sends for him. Joseph gets to pull himself together. They, they give him fine clothes. They get him ready to be presented to, to Pharaoh. He gets there. Pharaoh tells him, here's what the dreams are. And, and Joseph says, you know, they're the same dream. And here's what it basically means. There's going to be seven good years of abundance, and then they're going to be followed by seven years of famine and hunger and starvation if you're not careful. So you need to figure out a plan to take advantage of these seven years of plenty so that we can brace for these seven years of things falling apart. And Pharaoh listens to him and trusts him. Now, in that moment, right, it's where things start to turn for Joseph. But it's been a long, long time coming. And it all hinges at this point in the story in this wine steward finally remembering him. So it's, it's important for us to realize that you've got two sides of the same truth, right? When we forget people, we don't just run the risk of hurting their feelings. We can cause them to, to go through this, this sense that God's forgetting them. And when that happens, it hurts their relationship with God. Well, the other side of it's true, right? When we finally remember people, and especially when we remember people in their darkest moments, we don't only make them feel seen and loved by us, we can also help them feel seen and loved by God, God remembers me. God knows what I'm going through. God hasn't forgotten me and thrown away the key. I just had to wait. And then God intervened. God stepped in. God changes the story. God is the one who's giving Pharaoh these dreams. And it's when nobody else can interpret the dreams that then the wine steward remembers. And when he remembers Joseph... Everything about Joseph's life starts to change. Yesterday, uh, there were roughly, I think, 120 people that met together at the, the Piles property. And we've got just some, there's no sound with these clips, but I want you to get a sense of what it looked like out there. And so, Nate, if you could just play these, they're, they're just a, 
They're not even a minute long. Uh, you know, when I got there yesterday, I'm feeling all this pressure. That's Mark Hanner on a skid loader, like he means it. Anyway, um, you know, we're there, and we're with the piles. And, I mean, people had less than 12 hours uh, to, to get there. And there were all these people that showed up. And I couldn't help but feel like what, what we were witnessing together was God reminding us that he's with us in our darkest moments when we're literally sifting through the rubble of our own life. He's with us. And what I want to remind everyone this morning, what I want us to hold on to is, this isn't going to be fixed in a weekend. I mean, it was amazing. It was like a bunch of Amish people with power tools out there, right? (laughs) I'm sorry if I offended any Amish people online or anywhere else. Everybody loves the Amish, right? You can't, anyway. Where am I? Anyways. Here's the thing, right? As heartwarming as that was, we all went home. And there's going to be times we step step back in. And guys, I want to promise you, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. But but this is this is not a sermon illustration. They deserve more than that. What I'm trying to say is, even when we realize that God remembers us, it's still hard. That, that it's not magic, and it doesn't, all of a sudden, when, when you show up, you don't fix everything. I'm not able to fix everything. God is going over time to heal everything, but it's going to take a lot of time. And so one of the the best things we can do, and this is true of other people in our lives as well, I mean, the reason I really love that picture is not just because my daughter's in it. I love that. I love that Charlie Harden is wearing a Superman shirt. Because it really is heroic to remember people in their darkest moments, to do something about it. But we have to keep remembering. And the piles are not the only people in this room this morning who are are carrying grief and disappointment and sorrow. I mean, I, I know, you know, one of the best things about preaching is you know stories. Like when I look out here, I don't just see you wondering how much longer this is gonna go and glancing at your watch. I see stories, stories of loss and grief and difficulty, and I know other stories of heroes in this room who have shown up and they've stayed. I don't think the wine steward remembering two years later is the miracle Joseph would have chosen. And I'm not sure if we talked 
You know, you lost your entire home, but the barn of Sabrina Cedars made it. And it's easy for the rest of us to say, isn't that a miracle? My guess is that may not be the miracle that y'all would have chosen. In fact, it may feel like half a miracle. And sometimes half a miracle is what we have to hold on to. And it works if in addition to holding on to that half a miracle, we can hold on to people who refuse to forget what we're going through. And I just, we're running out of time, so I'm going to cut this sermon short. I'm just telling you, we need to find ways in a world that's going too fast all the time and we're heading in too many directions and everything feels like it's pulling us apart from one another. We need to make the faithful decision to be there for each other and to be open to let God using us to be the primary way that someone else gets to experience the steadfast loyalty of God. I took a little piece of brick from that house. It's charred. I had to take three showers yesterday and I still have ash on me in places I'm not going to show you. I took a piece of that house and I'm, I'm going to put it on my desk at work and I'm going to leave it there until you guys have a new home. And then I'm going to move it somewhere on my bookshelf where I'm not looking at it all the time, but I never want to forget what it felt like yesterday. To look around and see 120 Christs walking around with face masks on and ash all over the place. I mean, didn't it feel like on Tuesday or Monday or whatever when you looked in the sky it was the end of the world? I mean, goodness, I couldn't have handled it getting much hotter. And for some people, it got pretty close to really being the end of the world. We better never forget it. We need to remember. And when we remember, when we pray, when we reach out, when we do whatever we possibly can to help, we're doing God's work. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I, I want I want you to think of the people in your life who you know are struggling. And part of their struggle is maybe they've been struggling so long they're worried that even God has forgotten them. And find a way this week to remind them that you see them and you love them and that God sees them and that God loves them. That God sees more than you see and God loves better than you love. Man, if we could just remind somebody who's struggling of that truth, you could change their lives. Let's stand up and